Welcome to Equosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Before I jump in and introduce today's guest, I want to say that we've reached another podcasting milestone. This is episode number 200. Pretty staggering, especially when I think about the number of listening hours and editing hours that represents. In many of those episodes, we've been talking a lot about constructional training that's based on the work of Israel Gold Diamond. Gold Diamond poses four questions, which form a very useful framework for structuring your training. The first question asks, what do you want? What are your goals? And the recommendation is to dream big. The second question gives you your baseline. Where are you now? What skills do you have in repertoire? What component skills are still missing? The third question takes you to your training steps. How are you going to get from where you are now to where you want to be? And the fourth question asks, What will keep you going? What will keep you motivated? It's this fourth question that we want to focus on in this conversation. Our guest today is Sarah Memmi. Sarah joined us a year ago for a fabulous conversation about choice, control, and goal setting. So in a way, we were looking at the first gold diamond question in that conversation. And now we're going to jump straight to the fourth. Sarah brings a great perspective to this question. She's an assistant professor of marketing at the College of Business at the University of Louisville. She's also a lifelong horse person, which makes her a perfect fit for also teaching in the University of Louisville's equine business program. Our subject is going to be intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Now, if we were following our normal pattern, we would bring in a behavior analyst to talk about this subject. We'd get Dr. Claire St. Peter or Susan Friedman uh, to talk to us about this. But in this podcast, I want to draw on a different field. As a behavioral scientist, Sarah is drawing on a very different body of research from that which Dominique and I have recently been exploring. So I was really interested in hearing her perspective on this subject. Sarah was trying not to overwhelm us with research references related to how humans behave. And instead, in this conversation, she is extracting what she thinks is going to be most relevant to those of us who are interested in training. So enough introduction. Welcome, Sarah. And let's jump straight into today's topic. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Alex. And thank you, Dominique, for having me back. And this is a really meaty and fun topic and close to things that that I'm professionally and personally interested in. So I'm delighted to be here and talk uh, and talk about it. I know I think we want to get right into it without too much, you know, preamble here. Um, Preamble can be fun. If there's a preamble that you think is is useful and necessary, by all means, preamble away. Yeah, I'll pre well, my general preamble will be just, you know, I guess always the academic disclaimer we always have to do, which is, 
to say that, you know, there's a lot of knowledge around this topic and, and I'm going to speak really just from my, you know, my lens, right. And, and my, my sources of reference and, and uh, my context, which would be different from other people you might speak with. So, so to that saying, you know, it's not like the definitive word on this, but it's, it's my perspective on it as everything always is, but I think it's good to be explicit about that. And then I think I did this on the last podcast and I'll do it again, which is to look a little bit at defining terms. Um, And I know I've been refreshing on the recent episodes. And so I know you've been talking about that uh, a lot with uh, Claire St. Peter, you were talking about your process of writing the academic paper and how much thought and care went into defining, using the language and exactly what are we saying and exactly what does this mean? Um, and of course I was, you know, hearing that and thinking I'm in the process of writing a major paper. And I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about, exactly <laughs> yes. what you mean, both from that perspective of just working through it, but then, uh, conceptually it is so important because if you use a word intrinsic motivation, that could mean almost anything to different people. Um, and so what do we really mean by that? Like, what are we kind of, what's our starting point for a conversation? So the definition that I'm going to, to share and that I use as a way to think about it, and it's substantiated by prior work, is that intrinsic motivation, what it really is, what it really gets means in a nutshell is that the action, the activity itself that you're engaging in, so the behavior okay. is rewarding. So the reward, the reinforcement is bundled with the action and is not separable from the action. So a really simple, I think, maybe way to think about that is that an extrinsically motivated behavior, if it's extrinsically motivated, the reinforcement is separable from the action itself. So many of us, you know, have jobs and the things that we do for our work are not they are separable from the money that many of us receive for that work, right? So that that could be considered an extrinsically motivated behavior. We'll get into how that's a little less simple than that, you know, as we we dive into this, but uh, the, the reinforcement is separable from the action itself. Whereas an intrinsic reinforcer or something that could be considered intrinsically motivation, the the reward is in the doing. Um, It's not a means to an end. It's an end unto itself. Um, so if you, if, you know, staying in our world, our frame of reference, if riding, you know, you enjoy just being on a horse and being around horses and just being on a horse is rewarding, that would be considered intrinsic motivation. Um, if what you find rewarding is winning a ribbon at a show, that would be extrinsic because that ribbon is separable from the act of riding, Right. So riding would be a means to that end, to obtaining you know, a ribbon or a result or an outcome. Uh, whereas if it's intrinsic, it's bundled in with the actual action. But if we tease back to yeah. what is it about riding mm-hmm. that we find reinforcing, aren't we going to find extrinsic reinforcers? Yes, yes. So there are, so a couple of, you know, we can get into some broader ideas, but 
it's not a, let's say a couple of basic ideas. It's not, you know, it is a, um, a spectrum. It's not a binary thing. So it's not, it's not something is necessarily intrinsically reinforcing and only intrinsically reinforcing. The world is complex. Behaviors have lots of components and, and there can be multiple types of reinforcers at play. Writing can have intrinsic reinforcers. It can be intrinsically motivated. It can also be extrinsically motivated, right? So there can be both of those things. Um, another general idea is that the same activity can be intrinsically motivated or can be extrinsically motivated. And that can change over time. Um, but the but the real piece of it is, the crux of it is, is that essentially something is, you can consider it to be intrinsically motivated if it is enjoyable. Fun, enjoyment, those are common measures for intrinsic motivation. So if you, the more that you enjoy actually doing something, engaging in it, the more you can consider it to be intrinsically motivated. So for example, sometimes you see children who just grab a book and they spend hours reading and you haven't prompted right. them to do so. And other children are not very interested <laughs> in reading. Right. right. So the first right. child exactly. would be said to be um, intrinsically motivated. motivated. Mm. You could you you could possibly infer that. Um, you can't, mm. re it, it's harder to really know than yeah. I think it, it can seem. Because what you can't know is, is that child, and, and this I think is important to bring up because I feel, I'll, I'll open parenthesis, a lot of times I think people will talk about intrinsic motivation sort of with the idea, similar I think to what you're saying, Dominique, like, well, a child who, you know, studies or reads without being pushed to do so, they're intrinsically motivated or somebody who goes to their job and they invest energy and they are, you know, you don't have Passionate. to, yeah, you don't have to sort of micromanage them and push them onto every little thing that, that, that person's intrinsically motivated. Um, and that may be the case, but it also may be the case that that child is actually really motivated to earn a grade. Um, and so they might be reading without prompting, but yeah. it may be that extrinsic separable outcome of a grade that is actually driving or in part driving their behavior, or that employee may actually have a deep-seated fear of failure. <laughs> yeah. It may be, you know, working to avoid feel failure as in a kind of an extrinsic outcome. So, so you can't always know. Or let's say you've seen your mother reading hours for hours on and on, right. you probably can conclude that if you start reading your mother will praise you or because she values the activity. And so you're kind of modeling what your parent, you know, is doing. Um, I'm sure it's difficult, like you said, it's a spectrum. So it's difficult to say it's this one thing and that's it. But there must be like a balance. It's, you know, you can be more towards one end of the spectrum or the other, and you can influence that. You can. And to that idea that positively same... or negatively, I suppose. So in terms of training, you know, when we are clicking and giving our horses a treat, mm -hmm. they certainly enjoy the treat. But I would I would not say 
that the that the treat was intrinsic motivation. It is separable mm. from uh, the right. action of whatever the whatever they was, did was just doing. But yeah, so but where I think it gets really interesting to think about um, is that I, I guess I'll be talking about this. This is a, a theory about people, but we can apply it to horses. Okay. Is the idea of transfer of value from an extrinsic reinforcer to to another behavior. So a very basic way to think about the, the, the definition and the outlook on this question that I'm sharing is one about essentially the structure of reinforcement and the structure of goals. So goals are desired outcomes, right? Okay. It's an outcome you want to obtain or avoid, but it's that representation of a desired outcome. And without getting into details, there's um, a foundational theory in social psychology around goal systems theory. And the idea being basically that goals exist in the hierarchy. So you have, you know, higher order goals and different behaviors, different goals that serve as means toward obtaining those higher level goals. And this idea about intrinsic uh, versus extrinsic motivation is just if that Again, whatever the action you're engaging in, if that you're perceiving it even as a means to an end, that's going to be more extrinsically motivated. But that intrinsic motivation is this fusion between the means and the end. So the means and then that that goal, they're being bundled up together. So they're they're the outcome it becomes inseparable from the action. Um, and this is a a take on this that uh, to share my references, um, uh, Caitlin Woolley, who's at uh, at your alma mater, actually uh, Alex at Cornell and Ayala uh, Fishback at uh, University of Chicago, have a really nice theory around this that in about intrinsic motivation as this fusion of the means and the end, um, and how this can come about. And so something can start out as separable, but they can become fused. So this is where I think it gets interesting for talking about training and horses. So, so it's a lot of preamble. Right. That starts to sound like something that is worth grabbing hold of. Yes. Because, yes. because I, all, yeah. you know, because reinforcers are going to start out basically as extrinsic. Often they do. Yeah. yeah. Often they do. Um, and where that is distinct from, I think is from, it's not about the content of the goal, right? So some people look at this from the question of, what type of behavior or what type of reinforcer is intrinsically versus extrinsically motivating. I think that's actually a less useful way to think about it because that is very, that's quite variable across species, across individuals, across even contexts, what exactly is going to be intrinsically versus extrinsically rewarding. If we take the reading example that Dominique brought up, you initially when you're, you're a small child and you are being read to and then learning your letters. You're gaining, hopefully, a lot of praise from people that you love, parents, caretakers. So that praise uh, keeps you interested. It's uh, part of uh, what you're looking for when you get, when you say, when you're able to to, um, 
sound out uh, cat and dog and whatever it is. And you can tell me that I'm totally off track, having never done this with a child. But since you have a child, you get to to say something (laughs) about this. But there's, there's a lot of extrinsic reinforcers in that process. But as as you learn to read and you gain that power of being able to access the written word and to discover stories Mm. and stories that are captivating and you meet friends through the books and the characters in the books become great friends and those worlds that you read as a small child become very real to you, et cetera, et cetera. I would say yeah. that the pleasure of the behavior is no longer driven by that external, oh, you read a book today. How many books have you read? You get a gold star for reading a book, that sort of thing. Right. And you're, right. just, you're, you're reading with great joy and pleasure. And that's, that's what we want to get to in all of our learners, where the pleasure right. of the activity takes over. So it's what we talk about with the horses, that when when we are working on a horse's balance and we are helping a horse to find uh, find that beautiful balance in their in their movement, and that when they are moving well, that it feels good to them. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. the pleasure of moving becomes reinforcing. The process of getting there has included a lot of extrinsic reinforcers as you're mm-hmm. reinforcing the horse for shifting his balance, for rocking back, for coming forward, that whole le- long right. learning process. Right. But at the end of the day, when the horse finds that amazing floating on air balance that all horses are capable of, unless they've been really damaged physically, they love that movement. You can feel mm-hmm. it in their bodies. So is that what we're talking about here, that, that merging? So it is. Uh, I think there's another layer to it. Okay. Um, but, it, but it is. So I think what you're talking about is the idea of using extrinsic reinforcers to teach and help guide learners, you know, horses, people, whomever, toward, uh, toward behaviors to give them the tools to engage in behaviors that are also intrinsically reinforcing. So the the idea of that balance, that physical balance has intrinsic reinforcement value. And so you're we're using extrinsic reinforcers and the shaping process to help make that accessible to a horse. Uh, for people, the being able to read and access information and communicate and all of the things that reading gives us using extrinsic reinforcers, whether it's social praise and attention or uh, the gold stars or whatever, you know, within the system that you're using, help you develop the skill that allows you to access those intrinsic reinforcers. And so that is absolutely correct. Um, there's another piece of it though, which is that even when, which is that that extrinsic, that, the value of an extrinsic reinforcer and the, the affective value, meaning the emotional value, can transfer over to, to another activity. And so even if the, let's say, target behavior isn't as 
naturally intrinsically reinforcing as maybe reading is or beautiful balances, there can still, it can still acquire intrinsic reinforcement value through that pairing of an extrinsic reinforcer, if that makes sense. And there's uh, four qualities that the, the, the researchers, as I mentioned before, that they, uh, that they outline as being important to that process of essentially transferring value. And I, I think that's also worth thinking about from a training perspective, okay. um, if that makes sense. Yes. And, and I think the broader idea there really is that, you know, intrinsic reinforcement unless you're really, again, talking about really fundamental biological behaviors like eating and drinking and sleeping and, you know, these really basic, basic behaviors, most of what we would do that we consider to be much of what we would do that we consider intrinsically reinforcing requires learning. Yes. Right. And so, and that learning is going to come with extrinsic reinforcers. And so I think that's the idea that I, I, to me is interesting and also kind of freeing because I, I feel like I hear it sometimes talked about as though, well, if you're using extrinsic reinforcers, that's going to be bad and it's going to undermine intrinsic interest. Whereas in reality, it can be what actually creates it to begin yes. with. Yes. Both because as you say, it, it, it gives you the skills to engage in those behaviors that, um, like moving in good balance or like reading that you just don't, you aren't just born necessarily uh, knowing how to do. Um, but also because pairing extrinsic reinforcers with otherwise, let's say more neutral behaviors can help transfer those, that, that emotional value yes. uh, to those behaviors. Um, and they have four processes they say are, are key to that. Um, we don't have to dive into that now if that gets a little too heady, but we can do it through the lens of. I, but I think you, you can't you can't say that there are four processes, and then not list them because I can just <laughs> okay. hear the screams across the internet. What are they? What okay. are they? What are they? Okay. Yes, uh, and so, I'm saying so, that too. What are they? Okay, good. Okay, okay. Um, so so the first one uh, is that it's there's a unique link between. The, the behavior and that that extrinsic reinforcer and the you know between the means and the goal um this for, one I think for is example. A, a, yes for example I think this one I will say is a little bit less critical for for training purposes but meaning essentially that that one means that one behavior uh, is associated with fewer different goals um, and a way to think about that in the animal world that that happens actually, I think quite a bit in, in more traditional training contexts are um, how I think about, let's say hunting dogs, how often they're, they're raised and, and trained in that they spend much of their lives, let's say in the kennel um, with fairly restricted access to reinforcers and that when they're taken out to work, um, that that is that going out to work and being in a training environment is, if not the only one of the very few ways that they can access lots of reinforcers like exercise. And if I own a beagle, so I think about a hound getting to sniff and um, getting to, you know, so, so that that training environment, there's trained behaviors offer unique access to those reinforcers. Okay, so a horse that lives in a stall and mm-hmm. has limited turnout, but the, right. the 
coming into a training environment where they get to move and they may, may be other horses in the arena. Right. So from the horse's point of view, it's also one of the few times where they get to sort of feel as though they are in a herd with other horses. Right. That, that that puts a very different perspective, doesn't it, on the importance of training for a horse that is kept right. in a fairly sterile, restricted, from a welfare point of view, environment. Interesting. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you should all do that. No. So run out and No, 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 no. But it does, but it's an interesting way of looking at it. It I mean it 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 makes you really do even more of a double take in terms of um because we are you know, we wanna we want to be careful always in what the magnifying factors are and mm-hmm. having poor welfare be them, you know, oh, my horse, my horses, especially if, you know, I'm thinking about the horses that are living in stalls in, in, and the kind of stalls where the walls are solid, so they can't even see the other horses through the walls. And they, they're brought out into an arena, and the training is command-based, force-based training. Mm -hmm. But it's the only time that that horse really gets to be exercised and to be in a herd-like environment with other horses. You know, every time you turn, like every time you turn, that's that's the neat thing about perspective, that every time you turn the globe a little bit, you see it through a different prism, then Mm -hmm. it's like it shakes everything up and gets you to rethink and and analyze and, and assess. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's always a good thing. And like Sarah said at the beginning of the podcast, behavior is complex. Yeah. You know, right. it's not so, it's not as black and white and easy as we wish it were. <laughs> so unique. So that's one characteristic. So that, you, yeah, a unique link. And that could be unique, as I was saying, in terms of this behavior is what is the only or part of a much more limited set of ways to reach that that desired outcome, right? So as the horse who never gets to move except when it leaves its stall to work, that actually, maybe ironically, depending on your perspective, can make being trained with command-based systems more reinforcing, Mm -hmm. Uh, more intrinsically, you know, that horse will enjoy being worked probably Mm -hmm. more than it might otherwise. Um, The other piece of it can be that um, a single behavior opens up fewer reinforcers or fewer um, extrinsic reinforcers. And so this kind of relates to, oh, there's uh, this research that gets talked about all the time, anytime anyone talks about this, um, which is from the 70s, there was work that was done on children with coloring. I think you've actually discussed it on the podcast before. And, you know, kids who are coloring and they're just intrinsically motivated to do coloring and then if you give them you know extrinsic incentives that it they're then less intrinsically motivated to color and this could be called kind of crowding out intrinsic motivation there's some other there there's some i mean for one thing that only only applies if you're already intrinsically reinforced by that target behavior So I, I often, it bothers me because I often feel that, hear that talked about to sort of justify, well, we should never, of course, 
you know, reward students for things or reward anyone for anything because they won't be intrinsically motivated. And it's like, well, if there's no intrinsic motivation to begin with, you know, if you're starting from zero, you can't crowd out, you know, yeah. from zero. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. But another piece of that finding that was kind of teased out is that, well, it's a little bit the idea of if you have a, a behavior, let's say it's coloring and it can be enjoyable and it, that intrinsic aspect, but maybe it's also a means toward um, earning praise, or it can be a means toward um, giving money or some other type of, let's say, extrinsic reinforcer, then at least as a human being, you can go through this process of, of essentially justifying your behavior. Well, why am I doing this? You're asking yourself, oh, why am I doing this? Oh, it must be because I'm getting paid, right? Um, and so, so that's a, a layer I think is less directly apl applicable to animal training, um, but is part of that idea too, that if, if you've got one target behavior and now you've got, it can open up many different types of outcomes in a way you, you can then think about, you, you're sort of asking yourself, well, which of these is the one that matters? Well, yeah. Why, why am I truly doing this? Why am I truly doing this? Yes. And if you, and if you think, or if your environment is suggesting to you, the reason you're truly doing it is for some extrinsic motive, like getting paid, then that can undermine or, or yeah. reduce how but, enjoyable it seems. But I, I think I, I'll mention it because maybe a lot of people might want be wondering about that. Piece. Well, I think it's important we, and I, I, I want to make sure we go through the four processes, right. but right. I think this point, because um, I remember when we talked about this, I was doing some volunteer work for um, some people who were helping or, or providing to autistic children the mm. opportunity to ride horses. And I was in contact with people who were in special education and they, they discussed this, you know, this notion that, um, because I briefly mentioned that I used positive reinforcement with horses and they had this big reaction and, and they went into this 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 idea that rewarding can un, is is not very good because it can undermine it can diminish um, a children's motivation. So, for instance, and it this this idea was very prominent for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it really I think harmed in a way or diminished the use of reward, which is too bad. And you still hear when you say when you hear people say. Well, he's doing it for the carrot, you know, as if right. the external reward is, is right. not legitimate. But what you were hearing is that if, let's say a parent, if they pay their children to do, um, do the dishes, to, to, to bring, or to bring good, good uh, scores from, how do you say in English? The, uh, um, grades. Good grades. Yeah. So people would say, well, you shouldn't do that because he's only going to do it for the money. And then if you stop doing, if you stop giving the money, he's not going to be interested in school anymore. And there was this research that um, kind of came with to that conclusion. But then, you know, um, I went to a Paul Chini's book. I think there are like 145 experiment researches that actually found some came to another conclusion, but the difference was in the way 
or in the in how the contingency was set up. Mm-hmm. If you only, let's say, rewarded a child for coming to class, just that, and you kept doing it like that for a long time, so they didn't really have to do anything else but come to the class for, let's say, I don't know, two years. I'm, I'm not citing a specific research, but this was the, the idea. It might diminish a little bit their interest, but if you kept the challenge, if you kept the, um, if the criteria raised and you kept higher performance that the interest was not only maintained, but very often increased. Mm. Um, so yeah. it, it's how you reward it. In a way, it makes me think of loops, Alex, you know, when a loop is clean, you have to move on. Yes. Because if you always reward- And you should same, move on. And you should <laughs> yes. move on. If you always <laughs> reward at the same level, even our animals can get bored. You know, so it's it's good to increase the challenge so that you do keep the motivation. This is how all the video games are set up. You know, they make sure that you're you're always challenged a little bit. And so you're always very motivated to keep learning. But I think this original research was quite damaging. And in the end, you know, all these other research has found that and it's different if you're starting with something that bores you. versus an an, an activity that you do like, but that, um, so if if, uh, someone wanted to increase your motivation and not decrease your motivation, that to have that kind of contingency and yeah, yeah, I I agree. And there's a lot of pieces to that. And there's a lot to unpack there. And I do not do education research. So I wouldn't get into any of that, that sort of literature. But yeah, I mean, and, and your point about doing the dishes, I mean, if they're not doing the dishes to begin with, there's mm-hmm. nothing to undermine. Right. <laughs> if they've never done the dishes, or they've done them and only found them to be punishing, um, they're, you're not undermining anything um, with, with extrinsic reinforcement. And, and I think at a broad level, what you're talking about, Dominique, is that there's, you know, all reinforcement is not equal. It's, you can't just say, we know from being trainers, there's so much nuance into what what you're using for reinforcement, how often you're using it, what are the contingencies, and and those all come in come into play. Um, and so, you know, both of these statements are true. It is true that in some circumstances, um, certain types of extrinsic reinforcers can uh, reduce intrinsic motivation. Um, although I, I also believe that that's actually not really like a very um, durable effect. I think it's very much in the moment. So I also don't think it's like you've ruined somebody for life. <laughs> um, but it's also true that intrinsic reinforcers can be not only useful to, but even critical in building intrinsic um, yeah, motivation. I, I'm thinking of the conversation, the recent conversation we had with Lucy Butler and her experience in the classroom and Mm. where she started out in the fall with all these new ideas buzzing around in her head of how am I going to apply this? How am I going to apply this? And she started out using in part tokens, Mm -hmm. token reinforcers, stickers. And and yes, Mm -hmm. the kids liked the stickers, but if she had stayed just with stickers, she would not have had the success that she had through the year that she found 
she really found keys to what was truly reinforcing for these children. And one of them, one of the major keys was seeing their success. Oh, hugely important. Um, and maybe that leads to a bit of a parenthesis, which is that there are, you know, if you think about what is intrinsically motivating or intrinsically rewarding, you know, we talked a little bit about some of these very basic behaviors like eating or resting or, but then there are these meta level reinforcers. And one of those is what you're talking about here, which is the, a sense, a sense of control and a sense of, so a sense of being able to use your behavior to obtain a desired outcome. That's essentially what, what sort of feeds up into the feeling of control, not control, like command over another person necessarily, but, but control over the outcomes that you experience is fundamentally reinforcing quite widely. That's not just for people (laughs) for, for across species. Uh, And so that you can think of that as a, let's say a meta level reinforcer. And so you can, you know, use extrinsic reinforcers to teach a skill, but in the process of doing that, in that learning process, if that, that learning process includes, as you're saying this, this sense of learning, oh, I know how to do this thing and I can do this thing and it helps me get what I want. Even if that, what you want is an extrinsic reward, that activity is still going to be more intrinsically motivated, more intrinsically rewarding because you're getting this sense of control, sort of other very related types of self-efficacy. So the, the feeling that, you know, you're effective yeah. uh, at using your behavior, you're effective in the world. Um, feeling of belonging. Being a belonging, social belonging. You know, there are these, these meta-level um, reinforcers. And so a learning process that, that allows you to access those um, through your behavior is, is very powerful, even if there's still an extrinsic reinforcer <laughs> on the other side of it. Yeah. So maybe just, just to give a reference, if someone was interested in that debate, whether the, a reward can have a negative effect on motivation, I just want to, uh, to reference uh, David Pierce and Carl Cheney's book. So they, <clears throat> they say, um, and this is going to be very quick, using a statistical procedure known as meta-analysis, Cameron and al. 2001, analyzed the result from 145 experiments on rewards and intrinsic motivation in order to answer the questions, the question, do rewards have pervasive negative effects on intrinsic, intrinsic motivation? The findings indicated that rewards could be used effectively to enhance or maintain an individual's intrinsic interest in activities. And then they go into the detail of, you know, the nuances of the contingencies we discussed before, but, you know, 145 experiments versus, I think there was a few that uh, imply that there might be a pervasive effect. So if someone wanted to dig deeper in in that um, part of the discussion, they could maybe look at that meta-analysis from Jay Cameron. Thank you. Thank you, Dominique. I will say another idea related, Morgan, we'll, we'll switch to this, that that does tie into though, is that the relationship matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I was, you know, and before doing this 
this you know discussion we're having, I was looking at a few papers and I think this would maybe be an unlikely source for an insight about training, but this was a, a paper in a marketing journal and they were looking at uh, intrin- intrinsic uh, motivation in the context of people writing online reviews, right? So okay. not training at all, but how enjoyable is it and how intrinsically motivated are people when they're writing you know, an online review and the relationship of extrinsic reinforcers to that. Um, and again, if anyone's uh, interested, this is um, also that same researcher I mentioned before, Caitlin Woolley and uh, Marissa Sharif. Um, this is a paper that they had come out quite recently, a couple of years ago. Um, and they found that providing extrinsic incentives increased. So when they put people in a study and they would one condition, they'd say, okay, you're going to watch a video and write a review of this, like you would if you're, you know, writing a review on YouTube or something like that. And, you know, the control condition, just, we're going to have you write the review. The incentive condition will give you a 25 cent bonus for writing this review. You go, you write the review after they ask, you know, self-report of how intrinsically rewarding that was. So how much did you enjoy writing the review? How much fun was it? You can't have self-report with animals, but with people, you can you can use that. And they did find, in fact, that these extrinsic rewards increased intrinsic motivation. Um, it it did not happen for people who already loved writing reviews, right? So those people were already kind of up at that scale. Like some people really like to do things, sorts of things, write reviews online. And so if somebody already had, let's say, a strong history of writing reviews and liked doing this already, it didn't really didn't hurt heard it for those people, but it didn't really push them up. But for most people, it increased their enjoyment. What I thought was quite interesting from a training perspective is what they also found is that those extrinsic incentives did not help. They did not increase intrinsic motivations. You didn't get that, you know, positive affect to transfer if people didn't like the giver. Ah, (laughs) Haha, <laughs> the relationship matters. <sighs> yeah, so if you're you're feeling unfavorably toward that company, having them give you, you know, that company giving you this reward does not make you more does not make you enjoy writing a review more. Um, so you can essentially turn off that effect. And I thought, oh, that has some really interesting implications for mm. training and learning environments. Yes, definitely. So to me, that really suggests, you know, particularly for teaching environments, you know, you can't just, you know, you can't just swap teachers in and out necessarily of a learning environment with no implications. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that time spent building a relationship is critical. Right. Building a positive relationship. Right. So, so that's two elements there were four. So what's the third? Oh, well, we actually didn't talk about the second. <laughs> oh. We talked about pieces of things. Okay. So the first one was the unique link between the means and the goal. Yeah. This unique link, uh, which strengthens the association, right? Yes. So this is all about basically strengthening associations between an extrinsic reinforcer or reward and a behavior that would otherwise be separable, right? Okay. Strengthening that association and that process. The fusion. This, yeah, fuse, fusing those so that that so that the the affective meaning the emotional response to that extrinsic reinforcer basically 
kind of imbue, gets imbued into that otherwise separable behavior, which then becomes more intrinsically reinforcing. Okay. Um, and the second one is repeated pairing of the end and the means, which as a trainer, so obvious, right? So you know, behavior X leads to outcome Y and you do that many, 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 many times. So repeated pairing of the end uh, and the means. And this can uh, work with animals, this works with, with people, um, um, but that wouldn't happen to such a degree if you know it only, those stimuli were only paired once or twice, right? There's that repeated pairing. Um, mm -hmm. and, and with people, I mean, essentially from a marketing perspective, that's how branding works. It's just creating associations where previously there, there were none. So, um, you know, advertising that pairs, I don't know, a car like with, or a can of beer or something, you know, very basic examples with a beautiful woman. Right. That it's creating these associations. Like there's nothing intrinsic about a car or a can of beer that says, you know, beautiful women, but you create these associations. Um, and through you know repeated yeah. repeated pairing, so that re repetition is is important to that process, that transfer process. Um, the other, which I think gets a lot of these things we've been talking about along the way, is uh, the third is greater similarity or fit between that that target behavior and the extrinsic reinforcer and the reward. There's no good place to stop, so I've arbitrarily decided to pause here. Next time we'll look at the other factors that help to create a tighter pairing between a behavior and the reinforcer such that it becomes difficult to separate the two of them out. My only announcement is just a reminder that Dressage Camp is coming up. That's September 2 through 5, 2022. If you are still hovering on the fence about whether or not to attend, let me give you a gentle nudge and invite you to come join us for a deep dive into balance. Unique was one of the factors that helps to create that tight pairing between behavior and reinforcer and magnifies the enjoyment. Unique certainly describes dressage camp. Anya Barron is going to be our guest presenter. She'll be joining myself, Michaela Hempen, and our Feldenkrais practitioner, Anita Snay. And we'll be spending the weekend talking about balance. So if you're interested, go to my website, theclickercenter.com, to learn more. And also, you can register there. And hopefully, I'll be seeing you in dressage camp. So until next time, train well and have fun with your horses. <laughs>